Amy Feltia. Welcome to Corona Bay House Short Stories and Poetry for November 24, 2023. Hello, my name's Terrence O'Donnell. I'm here again with more fictional stories and poetry from Medium.com again this week. And the second part of our Substack story, which I'll detail here a little bit. So this once-a-week podcast is available to listen to for, on nearly every podcast platform that you can imagine. It's also in my website at cronabeha.com, cronabeha.substack.com, and now cronabeha on YouTube. Subscriptions are still free. I do have a donations tab on the rss.com webpage, as seen in the link in the newsletter, at the end of the media newsletter, and on my website at www.cronabeha.com. I appreciate all tokens of support for my efforts to bring these stories and poems to you. So disclosure for everyone, like I say every week, in order to read the stories and poems, you're going to need to sign up for a subscription on Medium. I'm sorry. And in this case, uh, you know, to for Antonio Milano's story, you have to subscribe to Substack as well. Even though I provide the links in the stories and the poems and newsletters, the difficulty will be reading the complete stories and poems, as are paywall by the authors. And I have no control over that. So I'm of Irish descent and self-professed Shanaki, an Irish storyteller. Come sit with me under the crown of Beha, the village oak tree, as I read some stories and poems to you. So this week, I've got five short stories and poems. First up, it's the second part of the environmental story I started from the Substack writer. And then a couple of political pieces, a story about racism and an ode to Palestine. Next, I have a bit of a thriller, and lastly, a poem from my Bulgarian writer. She's very, very good. So, first story uh, comes from Beneath the Pavement on Substack. Uh, his name is Antonio Milano. And as I said Laura, before, we have a story from Lucigia, as she observes over decades the slow disappearance of the fictional Mount Tregla Glacier. So last was when she last week was when she was a child visiting the lake at the foot of the glacier with her grandfather. Now today in part two she returns with her husband. Next week in part three she visits for the last time in her life with her son and his children. So it's a story about the changing earth, the terrible loss we're all going to carry, and in the end a hope for a better future. At least as we hope so anyway. She knew what she would find, and yet the sight makes her feel like a cold, empty void is climbing up her legs enveloping her heart and pressing upon her lungs. She shudders, her voice trembling. It's gone. It's all gone. Footsteps behind her, a hand on her shoulder, but no words. He knows what she feels and how she is and dares not offer any empty appeasements. There's nothing to say. Instead, he stays there, unmoving, until she finds her way back. I thought. I don't know what I thought, she wipes, but cannot conceal the tears running down her cheeks. Nicola remains silent and pulls her into a hug, a kiss on the nape of her neck. They stay like this for minutes until a heavy gust almost knocks them over. Then they separate and sit down on a boulder away from the trail, eating granola bars and nuts for lunch. It's autumn, and they're all alone at Lake Bohan, its surface, not quite frozen yet, but holding icy shoals that bob and dance on a mirror-like facade ripples in the chilly wind, and there's an eerie, suffocating silence leading upon the valley. They're surrounded by mountains, on a stage, giants watching their meager performance, a cauldron made of eternity, and a glistening eye in its midst. Lucidia turns her back on Mount Treglup and falls to Nicola to stare at the black vista of pebbles and boulders that clearly demarcate where once there flowed a majestic river of ice, 
There's nothing left but a shattering feeling of loss. Bears, wolves, foxes, deer, and other wildlife used to roam this area, free and unrestrained. Can you imagine? Her voice is a dry whisper. I honestly can't. A couple of years ago, they killed the last brown bear in the region. There was a paper about it. She killed some sheep, and they could not have that. She scoffs. I can imagine that. There used to be tens of thousands, possibly more, and now there are none. Except for livestock and pets, we're the only greater mammal left. There is a sad smile on his face, the wind ruffling his sweaty hair. Soon we'll be the last animal together, Lysija, and then we'll be gone too. The earth will heal then, she says, and turns to look at the glacier's remains, the dry moraines and fjords that bear witness to his existence, the long blanket of debris and pebble that molds into the lake. Nothing's forever, least of all us. Yasander's harder than she imagined. Her muscles ache with every step, joint straining, heart pounding as she struggles to keep a steady rhythm. Nicola leads the way, his steps easy and sure, yet she recognizes the tension in his body, the worry etched on his face. They're climbing up the glacier's remains, witness to sapiens' destructive potential, the annihilation of history, and it feels like they're defiling a grave. The wind whips at their faces, the air thin and cold. Nicola had warned her about the altitude, but she brushed it off like so many other things in her life. Seems like only death and grief could shake her from apathy and ignorance, and what a fitting stage she finds here. A landscape, barren and unforgiving, rocks jutting up like broken teeth, cutting glass. The trail is narrow and slippery, rubble shifting under one's feet, fingernails digging into loose dirt until everything feels numb. Nicola is always ahead, oh how he reminds her of her grandfather, a reassuring presence in the swirling mist and the rain that turns into hail. She wonders why anyone would come up here, why they would push past the pain and the fear and keep going. What drives them? What are they escaping from that they must suffer to feel? Nicola pauses, turning to look at her with a gentle smile. We're almost there, he says, sensing her doubts. Just a little further. She nods, but her legs feel like lead, her mind screaming at her to turn back. Turn back right now! But she can't. She won't. Not for anything. It's the least she can do for she wasn't there for him in the end when he suffered, and she never got to wave to him. There's always time, it seems, until, without notice, the ground becomes a cliff and regret a deep hole without light. Summit at last. Mount Treglove and its siblings made subject, defeated and conquered, owned and named. She collapses to her knees, gasping for air. The view is breathtaking, but her vision blurred with tears. Nicola holds her, his body warm and comforting, and she feels his heart's heavy beating, a rhythm that echoes the song of the mountains. And incredibly, they f see a falcon soaring, its wings spread wide and free. She envies the creature, wonders what it must be like to fly, fly away, and find solace in the endless sky. Wherever he is, she hopes he can see her now. Thank you for bringing me here. Nicola smiles, thinking the words his, eyes scanning the horizon. It's worth it, isn't it? He says. It's a different world up here. With shaking hands, she opens her pack and removes the delicate urn from its protective layers. Nicola watches, his expression turning to one of solemn understanding. Together, they approach the edge of the summit, the wind buffeting them as they stand at the precipice, where life and death deal a delicate balance. Without hesitation, she opens the urn, holds it up to the sky, and lets the ashes scatter and blend with the world. The wind carries them away melting them into the mountains and the clouds until they are nothing but a memory and a relentless march of change. 
He's here now, she says, and here he will remain. She waves a last farewell. Next week, we get part three. So this one is a story that I got out of media from my friend Mitch. It's a love letter to Sam. Please come. And he published this back in July of 2022. Dear sweet Sam, how I wish you came with me, with us. I was terrified when we left that damn state. All the heat and hate and everyone knowing what was best for everybody. It's fake. It's all fake. As soon as we got past the border, I felt like a weight dropped off my shoulders. Can you believe it, though? In this day and age, there's border guards checking on people leaving town? I had to give them my driver's license, and they wanted my social information. I had a laugh, but I never let them see. I'm just happy we set up that fake-ass profile. But if that's what they want, well, fuck them. They can look at fake pictures of my fake cat all day, for all I care. It took them almost an hour to do their searches. I just sat there with the aircon on full blast, holding in a pee and trying to smile. The female cop was the worst of them. She had hard eyes set in a round red face, and she came right up to me and questioned me 17 different ways why I was going out of state. Since when does an American, me, have to tell anyone where I'm going? Is this still America? She opened up my suitcase and pawed through my stuff with same blue rubber gloves she had on when they pulled me over. She asked me about my clothes, my flip-flops, everything. She even pulled out my underwear and held it up and asked me if I was gaining weight. I mean... What the fuck, right? But I minded my manners, just like we practice. I told her very nicely that I was going to see my cousin, and that I was invited to his birthday party tomorrow. Good thing we set that up on my profile, too. She just stood there, playing with a silver cross on a long chain around her neck, one hand on her gun, and just watching me. I heard they could force us to do pregnancy tests on the side of the road. Maybe she was wondering if she should make the effort. If I only asked her to use the bathroom... She'd probably make me do the test anyways. So I sat there and smiled and tried to play it off. But my legs were trembling like crazy. The sky was hard and blue and the sun was so hot. I could feel heat radiating off the highway in waves. I watched her thinking it through. She'd have to park me at the side of the road, walk me to a porta potty You know how bad those smell. Now imagine how much worse it'd be out in the sun all day. Then she'd have to do the test. Would she watch me pee? Would she even change her gloves? I smiled to myself. I'd give them a Gattaca. I'd fake them out. They'd never know I was pregnant. If they found out, they'd prevent me from leaving. Maybe I'd even catch some jail time, too. It shouldn't be anybody's business if I'm pregnant or not. But now it's a big deal. I guess they really need more worker bees. The thing is, I want our child. I love our baby, even more with every day that passes. It's like some kind of magic. I know it's a girl, and I can imagine I can feel her little heartbeat inside of me feels like a butterfly's wings fluttering. I want her to have the best life, a free life, a life where she can be anything she wants to be, where she will be valued and respected and cherished, not imprisoned by her sex or punished for it. When do we become the Taliban? Does a civilization fail so easily? I won't allow our daughter to grow up like that, my love, not in those dark places where birds fall out of the sky from the heat and where people just wait to die, drunk off their ass or high as kites. No one wants to live in these places anymore. Not where there's people full of hate pretending to be God's chosen, forcing everyone to be just like them. We won't. I won't. Sam, I'm free now. 
free at last, free at last, free at last. You can't know how those words ring in my ears so many years after King spoke them. It's come back to this. Will we ever learn? It used to be just black folks. Now it's just women. Right back into segregation without even a hiccup, and it's for the same reasons. Because God said it was the right thing. Because plantations need workers. They started taking prisoners all over again. Only this time you don't see the bars. Not till you try to stand up for yourself. Or make decisions for yourself. Or live how you choose. Or love who you want. Even you, Sam, you think you're free, but you're not. You can't love who you want. Can't refuse to do what they want. Can't go where you want. Not if you have a family. And try saying anything about their God. They'll crucify you. Eventually, they'll come for you, Sam. They'll come for everybody. It's a pattern. But you can let go of all that, Sam. You, build, you can build a family here with us. You already have people that love you. Is it worth it to remain behind? To have nothing to live for? Nothing to protect? Nothing to defend? What's the point of life if there's nothing worth living for? I'm sorry for running, Sam. Our child would suffer in this evil place. I couldn't stay a moment longer. But I'm waiting for you, Sam. We're waiting for you, just over the border. To start the damn truck and head north. Leave everything behind. Nothing is worth saving. Save yourself. Just come. I promise you, we'll be right here waiting for you. Text me as soon as you can. Love, Emmy. My next one is a poem. And this is the one I told you about. Um, is is an ode to Palestine. This is from Ella de Jean, published in Katniss. You're going to have to read between the lines here. Finding relief, just like you. What can I do when feeling so sad and helpless? If only I could. Put my head down, close my eyes like you. Sleep long and vast. Lie down like you. If only I could forget what is happening in the world. Better, make it stop what is horrible in the world. The only thing I can do, like you, is staring long and vague, go for a walk and come home again. I'm trying to make things right for you, dear Simba, right for others close to me, including my special students. It seems like it's the only thing I can do. Too many horrible situations in the world, I can hardly face them, even from a far distance. I wish I could put my head down, cover my eyes and ears. It's not going to work. So I try to find sweet spots, a glimmer of sunshine, and warm myself in those moments, like you do. Take care, each and every one of you. I hope you can find spots of warmth and spread some sunshine. My next story is a bit of a thriller. It's by T.J. Charvet, published on in June of 2022. He entitles this transgressive fiction, The Sound of a Toaster. It was one of those hipster bars in the city. I was probably the oldest person there. But the waitress didn't seem to mind. He kept bringing me overpriced Manhattans. Perhaps my black 1960s Brooks Brothers suit that I inherited from my near-to-well father made me fit in. I was working on my third Manhattan when they sat down in the booth next to mine. A couple of hister boys, for sure. They said, let's get some Bronsons on this table. I didn't know what they were talking about until they ordered a couple of light drafts from the waitress. Their conversation was loud and they were going on about their favorite film director. Something about how he had achieved the sound of the hero silencer in his latest trendy epic. Hipster won. The thing is, it was his toaster, bro. He knew his guy had to have a unique sound to his gun. It had to be special, bro. 
get this one morning. He heard this Victor's toaster go off, and he instantly knew that that was the sound he was looking for. Hipster 2. So cool. Hipster 1. He got his sound man over to his place, and they recorded it. And man, oh man, it's the best, right? Hipster 2. So rad, bro. It really makes his character stand out when he dispatches. The conversation continued back and forth about how rad the hero's toaster sound effect silencer was. To the point, there really wasn't anything more you could actually say about it. But they kept talking about it ad nauseum. I decided it was time to go. Paid up in cash and left a good tip. As they walked out, I glanced at my toaster silencer fans dressed in their latest hipster fare, sporting big-faced watches, which I thought were out of style. As I studied them, I wondered who they were accountable to and what they knew about accountability in their hipster world. I guess they were just accountable to being hip. I found myself back in the same bar the next night. They were already there and drinking their bronzes. I sat in the booth next to theirs and decided to try an old-fashioned. I wondered if they would still be talking about toasters. Instead, their conversation was a bit muted and somewhat serious, yet I could hear just enough of it. The one was reassuring the other that they had nothing to worry about. Hipster one, he's a dipshit, old man. Bro, stupid. Clueless, we got nothing to lose sleep over. Hipster two, I feel it, but we've taken so much, bro. Hipster one, and we spent all of it, bro, and we'll take a lot more because he'll never catch on to what's going on. We got one sweet setup. For a guy who owns a business, he's half there, half the time, both physically and mentally. We got to take as much as we can before the old fool kicks it. Hipster 2, you're so right. Before he's thin, bro. They quieted down when the waitress brought their next round, and then I heard them ordering some Moscow mules. These hipsters were drinking heavily tonight. They were both pretty drunk as they got up to leave. One paused at my booth, admiring my retro Brooks Brothers suit. I waited a few minutes and followed them out. They were walking uptown, both showing signs of the night's consumption. When I saw them head down an alley to probably take a leak, I knew I had my chance. Hipster 2 was standing mid-alley while Hipster 1 was finishing up. Before either could say anything, I shot Hipster 2 through the heart. Hipster 1 froze in place, looking at me. Then it was as if I could imagine what he was about to say, and he said it. It doesn't sound anything like a toaster. No, it doesn't, I said, and I shot him through the head. I quickly grabbed their phones, watches, cash, and some of their credit cards. I had to make it look sloppy, like a robbery gone wrong. Just a couple of unlucky wannabe hipsters in the city. I dumped the stuff where it wouldn't be found. I drifted off into the night, as I do. And yes, the man they worked for was old and perhaps a little forgetful at times. But unfortunately for the dead hipsters, he came from a family tradition that believed in what they call revanchita. So someone was brought in to make them accountable for their actions, to exercise revanchita. That someone is me. I'm like an accountant in that I make people accountable. And no, it doesn't sound like a toaster when I do. And my last is a short poem. And it's from Mariana Bosarova in Bulgaria. Just a verse, a bittersweet feeling. I know you were, for me, a simple verse. I stole you from the madness of the seasons. You were a blessing and the darkest curse. You were like me for an unknown reason. I strolled so many roads after you. I encountered so many different people. The common sense I simply tried to choose and throw my feelings on top of a steeple. You'll maybe stay for me a simple verse, but not in depths of blinded random rhymes. 
I drank your sweetness when I met you first. Then I tried the bitterness of the coming times. I know why you went away from me. I'll keep the memory in rhyme of my poems. I have with you a lovely lucid dream. How through the seasons along we are going. And that's what I have for you this week. And as I said before, I'm not doing the Irish music at the end of the show anymore for copyright reasons. I don't want to get in any problems with the UK and Russia and all the rest of them. So I hope you liked the variety. It was different. I didn't have much in the way of science fiction this week, but I suppose that's not a bad thing. It's good to, to kind of uh, diversify a little bit. So I hope the last poem gave you a little bit of a touch in the heart and a, the other one. Um, think about it. Uh, think about what's going on in the world right now. And hopefully I made a made a little bit of difference in your life today. So until next week, slantia. Kora Mahagat. Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll return again for another episode of Crown of Bayhead Stories and Poetry next week. Share this podcast with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Search for Crown of Bayhead Stories and Poetry in your favorite podcast app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree as I entertain you today. This is Shauna King. I want to continue to delight you with a story or a poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. Bless you and yours, as well as the cottage you live in. May the roof overhead be well thatched and those inside be well matched. Schlanga foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish. Thank you.